0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. The two phrases that I was thinking about this morning was, First, show me the money. And second, put your money where your mouth is. Now, at first glance, we might think that those two phrases are held together by the fact that they both have the word money in them. That's true. That's right. But that's not really what ties those two things together. What's going on underneath of them is something significant. They're not just about money. What they're really about is what we really care about. What they're really about is the bottom line. What matters to us, and more often than not, is results. We are a results-driven culture. That is what everything around us runs on. What's the results? What's the bottom line? What's gonna happen at the end? It's interesting because one of the ways that we see this play out in our life and culture is that the idea that someone would stay with one company for their whole life, the idea that after 35 years of service with one company, you get your your gold watch and your retirement party is gone. It's gone. Why? Because if somebody offers us a better title and $5,000 more a year, we will jump ship to anything. We have zero loyalty. Oh, oh, they're going to make me... Oh, they're gonna make me senior manager over there. I like that. That's better than just Mr. Manager. So I'm gonna go over, I'm gonna, oh man, $5,000, yeah, I'll go over there. So we are quick to jump ship, but, but the opposite is also true too, right? Companies are quick to give up on somebody. If you aren't making dollars, then you aren't making sense. Companies are quick to move on, to pivot, if they're not getting the results that they want. unfortunately, what has happened is this results orientation has affected the way that we believe about Jesus. It has infected Christianity. Because we want results-driven religion. What have you done for me lately? We want Jesus on our terms. We want a Jesus... To give us bread and money and whatever we ask for, whenever we ask for it. We want him to do that for us. We want Jesus for the benefits that he gives us. Thankfully, this is not just true of us. But this was true of people in the Bible too. And Jesus shows us this through a series of miracles. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first 34 verses of John chapter 6. As I do, I'd encourage you, even if you're at home, to stand up, to to let your body tune in physically to what we are doing here as we hear God's word read. And so let's read John chapter 6, verses 1 through 34. It says this, After this, Jesus went away to the other side, of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd that was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to give each of them a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to to those who were seated and the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Uh, was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and Jesus had not entered into the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we be? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is, Is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So he said to him, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. If you're standing up, you may be seated. On first reading, I think it would be very easy for us to to look and be amazed at the miracles. That's certainly what what stands out in this passage, isn't it? That Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And it starts by Jesus sort of testing his disciples, sort of seeing what they'll do. And then he says, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get food for all of these people? And it's interesting that the first one to answer sort of says that, That $40,000 wouldn't be enough to feed all these people. And the one thing that we can learn from that is that catering prices are amazingly stable over the millennia. And if you break it down, that's about the same amount of money that we would have to pay for catering nowadays. So, you know, at least we know that one of the disciples was pretty good at understanding what the price of food was. No, but as we read this story, we should be amazed. That Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And that's 5,000 just men. That doesn't include the women and the children. Can you imagine the amount of food it would take to feed 10,000 people? And that food was passed out from the hands of Jesus himself. There's a couple questions that probably come to your mind as you read this. One of the first questions that I know I asked myself and thought about this week was, Why did Jesus take the kid's lunchable? Why did Jesus take that kid's little lunchbox with just a couple little, almost like cakes of bread and a couple of anchovies, small fish to flavor it? Why did he start with that? Jesus was God. He could make something out of nothing. He's done it before. Why did he just do that? One of the reasons is because he was showing his connection to the Old Testament. It's interesting that Elijah did the very same thing with barley that Jesus is doing now. When Elijah was staying with the widow, her jar of barley that she made bread for her family with never went dry. That barley kept reproducing and miraculously showing up. And so Jesus is showing his connection to Elijah. And then they see that they collect these baskets. Not only does Jesus make enough food for these 10,000 people, but they have leftovers. This isn't like the manna in the Old Testament, where if you had leftovers, it went rotten. No, Jesus' bread that he gives doesn't go rotten. And then the people decide that they want to make Jesus king that they're going to take and make him king by force. And Jesus will have no part of this. And like several other times, he slips away by himself. And so his disciples get in the boat and they decide to start heading over to Capernaum, where many of them were from. And they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee and it gets stormy. And in the middle of this storm, here comes Jesus out for a casual 5K on the water. Just walking across the water in a storm. Can you imagine, I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, the idea that Jesus walked on water is like a pretty well-known thing. But can you imagine the sheer terror of seeing that for the first time? What that must have been like. Because you are, these disciples are at the oars. They're trying to get across this lake. This lake is stormy. This lake is violently waves all over the place. And then some dude starts walking towards you on the water. And you recognize that it's Jesus. You would be terrified. It's, It's almost as if, you were, were on the side of a mountain. And when you were on the side of the mountain, you could hear crackling like a fire. And you, you went and found that there was this bush. And on, this bush was burning. It was in flames. And yet it wasn't being consumed. It would be that level of terror. And it's interesting. Because the same thing that God said from that bush to Moses is what Jesus says these people, to his disciples in the boat. I am. Most of, our, most of our uh Bibles translated as it is I, because that makes good English sense, but it misses the allusion to the Old Testament. Because Jesus is saying, I am. I am who I am. God's name that He has said about Himself. And then not only is Jesus doing a miracle that reminds us of Elijah. Not only is Jesus quoting who he is from uh, Moses, but then he quotes the Psalms when he says, do not be afraid. Well, on the one hand, these miracles again show us that Jesus is God. What we're also seeing is that Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the culmination of everything that has come before him in the Old Testament. But this isn't just a nice story where Jesus makes some Old Testament allusions and does some cool miracles. This isn't just Jesus being neat. Something else is going on. Something, we're supposed to take something away. What do we do with these two miracles here in John chapter 6? I think the great thing is the Bible shows us and tells us. It shows us an example of what not to do. And then Jesus tells us what we are to do with these miracles, how we are to think about it. First, what not to do. We see that from the people. The people wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to force him to become their king. So much so that they followed him around the lake the next day. They went to go and find him. And it's really interesting that Jesus, Jesus pretty blatantly calls them out on this. He says, you've come back around here. You've walked across the lake, not because you want anything to do with me. You're here because you want more bread. You're here because you want more of what I had to give you. They want what Jesus could do for them, not who Jesus was. We want what Jesus can give them and not Jesus himself. So how about you? How often are you and I like that? How often do we want Jesus for the things that he can give us and not for the relationship in and of itself? Most of us would say, oh no, I don't do that. But how often does our love for our community, even in a church like City Church, a, a church that's one of our core values is community, how often is the community actually more important to us than Jesus? How often is the benefits we receive from those things more important than Jesus? I do this. I do this. The, way that this, I, the way that I see this happening in my heart is when I'm tired, when I'm, when I'm serving my idols of comfort, I will subtly direct a conversation away from spiritual things. Because I just want to talk about Parks and Rec. I just want to talk about baseball. I, d- I, d- I don't want to have a serious conversation about Jesus right now. In those moments, what I'm doing is I'm showing my pride and unbelief. I'm showing that what I care about more is just the community of the church than Jesus himself. I think we can all find ourselves in that in a number of ways. Is community good? Yes, of course. Like I said, it's one of the core values of City Church, but it comes after Jesus. It's Jesus, then community. Our community is founded on Jesus himself. But the people wanted to make Jesus king. And they wanted to do it on their terms. But Jesus will not be made king on anyone else's terms. Jesus is going to be king. Jesus is the king. But he's king on his terms, not theirs. In his timing, not theirs. And Jesus begins to explain this to them. Jesus says to them, you only came here because you wanted more Let me tell you what's really going on. Let me explain it to you. Let me tell you what following me really looks like. What you need to do is not work for bread that perishes, but you need to work for bread that gives you eternal life. And the people, surprisingly, this is is one of the rare times where the people are asking the right questions of Jesus. They say, okay, Jesus, you say we need to be working for something besides bread, that there is more to life than this physical stuff that I'm around, that there is something more going on here. Okay, Jesus, what do I need to do to be doing the works of God? This is a huge question. This is a question that we should think about. What do I have to do to be doing the works that God loves? Most of us begin to think, well, I need to, I need to love, oh, oh, this is the one, is this where it says love God and love neighbor? Is this what that's about? Maybe, maybe the things that I need to do to be doing the works of God, maybe that's, maybe that's the Ten Commandments. But what does Jesus say? Jesus answers the question, what should we be doing to be doing the works of God in a really interesting way? What does he say? Believe. He says believe. What must we be doing to be doing the works of God? We must believe in Jesus and the one who was sent. You see all of this all of this is showing us that following Jesus begins with belief. That the work of God, that the hard work of us as the church is to believe again and again the gospel. Each day each morning, morning by morning, to believe, to be reminded again of what Jesus has done for us. But, but the people, they say, okay, you want us to believe in you? Show us a sign. Now, there's, there's a lot of irony. Think about how this passage started. The passage started because the crowd was following him because he was healing so many sick people and then after Jesus was healing so many sick people Jesus fed 10,000 people with a snack pack and then the people have the audacity the next day it's not like they forgot it's not like they didn't remember the very next day they show up and say Jesus says believe in me and they say why what are you going to do what sign do you do That we should believe in you. What Jesus does is he begins to weave something through this whole text, through this whole chapter. Jesus is doing something big here. Because the answer, or the question that they're asking is, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately, Jesus? Yeah, yesterday you gave us some food, but what have you done for me lately? Why should I believe in you, Jesus? And the way that he answers it is with this thread. This thread that John is sort of carefully weaving into this passage that's all about communion. This passage is a heavy with allusions to communion. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread that was broken and passed out. Jesus is the one who forgives us again and again, and again. What has Jesus done for you lately is that he has forgiven you. He's forgiven you for the pride that you've shown this week. He's forgiven you for for the anxious unbelief that you've gone through this week. He's forgiven you for serving power or comfort, security or control, for for doing whatever you can to be accepted by others. What has Jesus done for us lately? He's forgiven us for all of that. That's one of the things that we we miss and yearn for when we get back together, right? Is communion. This week-by-week reminder that Jesus loves us so much that his body was broken and his blood was poured out so that he might forgive us. That is what Jesus does for us lately. And so now he calls us into a path of the same thing. He calls us into the path of willing self-sacrifice to others. Jesus will be king, but he's not going to be king by popular demand. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus is going to be king, but he's not going to be king by military power. He's not going to Rome to kick the Romans out. Jesus is going to the gates of hell to save his beloved church. And he's going to do that. He's going to do that by willing self-sacrifice for people who don't even deserve it. That's the bread from heaven. Now, as we do this, what you're probably hearing that if we're going to be a people who are self-sacrificial, that doesn't fit with our modern American way of life. This is not upward mobility. This is not everything up and to the left. Rather, this is downward mobility. This is service, selfless service, service that may not be seen by others, service that other people may not ever know about, this is serving others sacrificially with nothing expected in return, with no attaboys, with no Instagram post, no nothing. It's quiet, self-sacrificial service. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, look, there's a lot of examples of bad Christians. There's a lot. But I want you to consider who Jesus is based on his word. Based on what he has said. On who he says he is through these miracles. And on who he shows he is through his willing self-sacrifice. Church, though, we often don't have the best reputation, do we? How often is that earned by us? If we're humble? We'll probably admit more often than not that it's, that it's our own fault. But the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus, is the way of self-sacrifice. This is what changes our communities. Self-sacrificial love for others, even when they don't deserve it, knowing they can't pay us back, that is what brings change in our relationships. That sort of love, that sort of transforming love, is the only thing that can bring true harmony. It's the only thing that can bring true justice. That's the kind of love that Jesus has shown us. So Jesus was torn apart. So church, we must be torn. We must willingly give ourselves up. We must love others to the point That when we forgive them for the ways that they have wronged us, when we forgive them for the ways that they have hurt us, that it is painful to us. That's when you know forgiveness is real, is when it is painful for you to offer it. Because that's the kind of forgiveness that Jesus has shown us. Jesus loves us that much. So church, this morning, let us see the ways that we have tried to co op Jesus for our own goals. Let us see the ways and let us repent of the ways that we have wanted Jesus to give us stuff, Jesus to give us our desires, for Jesus to give us, to give us our the results that we want. But stop looking for those results. Let us see and savor Jesus bread of life, who was given for us, who was torn apart for us, and then let us follow Jesus in the way of self-sacrifice in our homes, in the church, in our jobs, and in our communities. May, may we be, church, the crumbs that fall from the bread of heaven here in downtown St. Pete. Let's pray.